we would tackle something that I hear rarely, uh, rarely dealt with in churches on Sunday mornings, but it's a reality in people's lives. And uh, that is the Christmas blues, the Christmas blues. And I'm not talking about music. <laughs> uh, Christmas, is, um, Christmas is a kind of a funny thing uh, if, when you start thinking about it. Because, uh, first of all, you don't have anything in the Bible that tells you to celebrate Christmas. I mean, even with Hanukkah, which we talked about today, you know, at least there's that one reference where Jesus observed it and made certain statements in the temple. But you don't see anything. There's no command in Scripture that says, you know, thou shalt annually observe the birth of Jesus there's nothing like that. In fact, um, what you do see is any time that the church would gather and believers would gather, they would recognize in particular the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Uh, they would observe Passover, at least the Jewish ones would. That was a once a year thing, but they had a new meaning behind it with this whole thing of Jesus and his death and his resurrection and all of that. But you do not see this kind of, you must annually also recognize the birth of Jesus. They went right to the passion of the Christ, the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And this was kind of the hallmark of the early church for at least the first three centuries of church history. It's only third century, fourth century when the, the church at that time tried to recognize the birth of Jesus. And this was probably in response to the other holidays and various religious views that were happening and they tried to counter this uh, at the time of the winter solstice by observing the birth of Christ. Good thing, great tradition and all of that, but it creates a little bit of a conundrum for us. And I don't know if you, if you realize what the conundrum is, but you, you have this kind of buildup, you know, all year round, or especially from, you know, at least whether you're Canadian or American, but in the Western world from Thanksgiving all the way through, I mean, even starts at Halloween. You know, you ever notice as soon as the Halloween decorations go down, the Christmas decorations go up or at least they do in the stores, you know, and you have this kind of rush toward Christmas, 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 and there's this buildup of tension, and, you know, people are, are out shopping, and the, the retailers depend on it, the restaurants depend on it. There's this huge, huge buildup, but it creates this kind of conundrum, if you'll switch to the next slide, because it has the potential of great sadness and depression happening in people's lives. Because we all get built up for this one thing and then it happens and then psh, all the adrenaline just drops to nothing. We try to keep our, our Christmas tree lights on, keep that Christmas tree, if it's alive, keep it going, you know, hopefully it doesn't dry out too quickly. And, you know, we have these songs, the X day of Christmas, my true love gave to me and all this. And, but some of us don't have a true love who gives us anything, you know, and there's this, there's this pitfall where people can get really, really depressed and really, really sad at Christmas time, especially if they've experienced things that past year that have been painful. You know, somebody recently loses their job, for example, just before the Christmas holidays. 
and they're out of work or somebody experiences a loss in their family or their ex extended family. And then here comes Christmas, and it's like, wow, you know, the, the potential for sadness and depression is actually quite high in the holiday season. And there are a number of studies that have been done where people recognize, man, you know, be careful, because at Christmas time, sometimes while everybody's got this air of joy and celebration, a lot of people are down in the dumps. So I want to talk to you about the Christmas blues and how to defeat the Christmas blues because if you're like a lot of people, you probably have a little bit of those blues starting to set in. And we're going to do this by looking at forgotten parts of the Christmas story. You know, Christmas we read up till the birth of Jesus, but after that we kind of say, well, you know, that's it and we leave it alone. But it's really important to look at what happens right after the birth of of Jesus if you're having trouble with the blues, okay? Um, Luke chapter 2 and uh, starting at verse 18. Usually what we do is we stop and uh, you see the shepherds visit uh, uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus the night that he's born. And this is right after that great company of the angels appeared to them. And the one angel uh, had, had specific words. And then the, the angels all say glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to to a man on whom his favor rests and so on. And they run over to Bethlehem and they go and they see Mary and Joseph and Jesus. And it's this incredible moment when they had seen him, verse 17, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about the child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. And we kind of put the story down. But verse 18, uh, uh, verse 19 says, but... Mary. And the but there is significant that Luke drops in, at least in our language we translate it. But, but Mary, as if to say, her response was a little different. And she's the mother of Jesus. Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they'd heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. But Mary's reaction's a little different. She treasured and she pondered. So she is thinking about everything that just happened. She is, there, these are very, very significant things to her, hence the word to treasure them. They're, they're, they're memories and moments that, she, that she'll never forget, obviously. But she also ponders them. She's also thinking about them. She's tossing them around in her own heart, in her own mind. And she's the one who's directly impacted by this whole event that happened. She treasured and she pondered. Well, what are the things? Well, presumably the things would be from Luke chapter 1 all the way up till this moment. So, you know, she, she's thinking about how her cousin uh, Elizabeth became pregnant with John the Baptist. And she's thinking about how she had a visit. Uh, uh, and the, you have these two 
these two women who were talking to one another. And uh, it's a really, really cool visit because you see that John the Baptist, while in his mother's womb, while in Elizabeth's womb, leaps for joy because Mary is there and Mary is expecting Jesus. So you have these two these two moms who are both pregnant in, in really unusual ways, you know, Elizabeth, uh, the old-fashioned way, but uh, certainly assisted by God, and, and Mary, totally, totally different way, and, you know, you've got, you've got something that's going on. You've got a virgin conception. Uh, not to be confused, by the way, with what, what the Catholic Church calls the Immaculate Conception, all right? That's a, that's a theology about, about Mary. That's not a theology about Jesus, okay? But Jesus is conceived. This is a virgin conception. Whoa, off the wall. These two pregnant ladies visiting one another. So surely Mary, she's, she's, she's treasuring that. She's pondering that. This, this message from this angel that she would give birth to the Messiah, to the Christ, and that he would be Lord. Again, you have to understand, I tried to explain it last week, but I don't think I did a very good job last week, so I'll try again this week. You have to understand their conception, their understanding, their picture of what the Messiah would be. He was human. He was a political ruler in their minds. Uh, he would bring everlasting peace on earth. He would bring the people back to Israel. He would restore the temple. He would reinstitute the sacrificial system of worship and so on. This is the picture that they would have of who the Messiah would be. Uh, and that's the way that it was back then. And to a degree, that's the way that it still is today. And this is why a lot of Jewish people say Jesus is not the Messiah because those things they claim he did not do and he did not fulfill. But one thing that they did not expect was the idea that the Messiah would be the Lord. He would be God in the flesh. He would be fully human and yet fully deity at the same time. And they did not expect this because this messes around with their monotheistic view that there is one God and how can you worship God in heaven and worship some human over here? That to them, you cannot do that. That is messing around with their monotheism. The idea of God existing in three persons is not in their minds at that time. So she is treasuring and she is also pondering, what's this got to do with the blues? Well, keep watching. What happens next over the next month and a half, it goes by very, very quickly uh, in, the, in the narrative, but you can read it if you continue reading in Luke chapter 2. And Mary and Joseph, they keep going on with life, even though their lives have just radically, completely changed. Everything has just changed for them and for everybody else who's going to experience Jesus. Everything just changed, but they keep going. They keep going with life, and these are Jewish people, first century. So they are going to do two things to follow the law, the Old Testament law, specifically in the book of Leviticus, all right? And you see on the eighth day, they're going to circumcise this boy as per the commandment in the Old Testament. You, you, I hope you know what that is, but if you don't, 
you know, you look it up on Google, okay? <laughs> Google will explain to you. But this is, the, this is the mark of God on the Hebrew boys, okay? So uh, it was time to circumcise them, and that's when they would give him a name. In that tradition, they still follow that today. And he was named Jesus. This is the Greek translation of Joshua, which means Jehovah is our Savior. Jehovah saves. This is the name that the angel had said you were supposed to name him before he had even been conceived. Even his name speaks of and implies his deity. So that happens on the eighth day of Jesus' life. This is... Um, this is before the wise men would visit Mary in, in her house. By the way, when the wise men visit, they visit a house. The child probably is upwards of as high as two years of age when the, when the Magi finally get there. And Joseph is not there. There is no mention of Joseph in Matthew's narrative. Nobody knows why. Maybe he was there. Maybe he wasn't. He's not mentioned. Specifically, he's not. Some people say you know, I'm saying he wasn't there because he's not mentioned. Perhaps he was. There is no mention of Joseph. He drops right off the page. So this is kind of the last little segment that you will see of Joseph in uh, Luke chapter 2 when Matthew picks it back up in Matthew 2. Where Joseph go? The Magi are visiting. Where is he? We don't know. So in any case, before the visit of the Magi and up to 40 days later. So first they give him a name. They circumcise him, okay, but then they have to go and they have to make an appearance in Jerusalem. They have to travel from Bethlehem to Jerusalem and present Jesus at the temple in accordance with the 12th chapter of the book of Leviticus in the Old Testament. You can read that yourself. It's Leviticus chapter 12. It's very short. You're going to read it, and you're going to go, my goodness, is that ever strange, okay? They had all of these this particular uh, um, uh, uh, ceremony that they had to do uh, because when a woman gave birth, she was considered to be uh, ceremonially unclean for a period of time. And so she had to go and she had to make a certain kind of sacrifice in order to, to finish her time of ceremonial uncleanliness so that she could, she could be in the temple again, she could worship, and so on. You say, that's really weird, that's really crude. I'm just telling you that's the way that it was in Leviticus chapter 12. And this is exactly what Mary and Joseph are observing when their time of purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed. Mary and Joseph, haha, they go to Jerusalem and they present him to the Lord as it is written in the law. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And what they had to do was they had to, in effect, buy Jesus back. They had to redeem him because he was their firstborn son. So they would present him to the Lord and then they would redeem the redeemer. It's, it's Jesus, the redeemer of all mankind, and yet they have to redeem him. It cost them, I think, five shekels to redeem their firstborn son. But then they had to make a sacrifice to finish that period of, un, of ceremonial uncleanliness. And uh, if they were poor, if the couple was poor, they could do it with a pair of doves or two young pigeons, as per Leviticus 12. And we see that is the case with Mary and Joseph. They This is a... a you know, they don't have a lot of, of material means. Uh, and so they are doing it the, 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 the less expensive way. And they make their sacrifice and they present their child in the temple as per the law. Where does that talk about the blues? This is how. They're going to run into two 
senior people in the temple. They make a brief appearance in the Gospels and they drop right off the story. They only appear right here in Luke chapter 2 and then you hear nothing of these two seniors who tell us how to defeat the blues at Christmas time. And so first senior that we see is a man by the name of Simeon. Uh, Simeon may be a priest he looks suspiciously like a priest in what he does, but doesn't say he's a priest. We know that he is righteous. We know he's devout. We know he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, which means Israel to be set free from Roman domination. And it says the Holy Spirit was upon him. Note that carefully. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Note that carefully again, that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah. So he has this thing in his head that he is going to live to see the Messiah. And God is going to keep him alive long enough to be able to lay his eyes on the anointed one. This is his understanding. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that this would be the case. Verse 27, moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. And when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do uh, uh, for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon, he takes Jesus in his arms and he's got him right there. It's almost like a um, rough looking baby dedication. You know, we do baby dedications where we, we hold the baby and we pray over the baby and the family says we're going to raise this baby in a Christian home. Well, this is kind of where it comes from. So here you have Simeon. He's got the baby in his arms, and he knows who the baby is. Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, now I can die in peace. Now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen after all these years of the blues... All these years of waiting, all these years of hoping. I mean, our people have waited hundreds of years, and I've waited years, and I get to see this little baby. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles. Amazing that he picks that up. And for glory to your people, Israel. I've seen him. I mean, amazing that he had that moment. And the child's father and mother, Mary and Joseph, are standing there. And they're marveling about what Simeon, this senior man, says about their little baby. And Simeon blessed them. And he said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against. What a statement. Imagine somebody saying that about your little baby. I mean, he's going to cause quite a stir is basically what's being said there. So that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, Mary, and you too. A sword will pierce your own soul too, Mary. 
I mean, what a statement he's making. So your baby is going to cause a big, big ruckus. He, there's going to be a whole thing that's going to happen around your baby. People are going to fall. People are going to rise. He is going to be spoken not for, but against. The thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed, Mary, and yours too. And a sword will pierce your soul. Some people say that he, he sees in his mind the fact that Jesus will die one day. And that's going to pierce the heart of Mary, his mother. We don't know for sure, but it's an incredible statement to be made. What do we learn about the blues? Imagine this man waiting all these years, all the t- just waiting and waiting and hoping. And but look at look at the 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 base for his life. The Holy Spirit is all over this man's life. You see that he has been told by the Holy Spirit that he will see the Christ. He is moved by the Holy Spirit to go into the temple courts. The Holy Spirit is upon him. You have this mention over and over again of the Spirit of God in this man's life. Not only do you see that in Luke chapter 2 in Simeon, if you really inspect the Christmas narrative, especially in Luke, you see it's like an era has dawned where the Holy Spirit is available to the individual person. The, the work of the Holy Spirit, the personal walk of the Holy Spirit in a person's life, a close relationship with the Holy Spirit is now available to all people because the Messiah has stepped into the world. This is the implication of this. You want to beat the blues, you need to get acquainted with the person of the Holy Spirit. You need to understand that because of Jesus, he now brings one into your life who is just like him. He used that language in John 14, one who is just like me, and he's going to teach you, and he's going to remind you, and he's going to empower you, and he's going to enable you to live your life in this world for me. Whether you're celebrating Christmas one day a year or you're not, you can beat the blues through the person of the Holy Spirit, just like Simeon did. And I would challenge you, learn to cultivate a walk with him. He's not a magical force or a power or something like that. This is the person of God in your life. He will speak to you. He will lead you. He will guide you. He will empower you. He will convict you. He will, he will protect you. This is the person of God in the deepest part of your life. The person of the Holy Spirit now available to all. Next senior steps on to the scene. Verse 36, there was also a prophetess. Some, some translations say that. The right word is prophet. Um, there was also a prophet, Anna. And she was a daughter of Fanuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. Stop right there. This, this is a woman who is a prophet. There's a big, big clue there. Okay? The, the, the promise of Joel in Joel chapter 2 is that the Holy Spirit would be poured out on all people 
whether a person's male or female, whether they're young or they're old, whether they're rich or they're poor, regardless of their socioeconomic status, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on all people. And it's no wonder you see this woman is a prophet. Wow, a female prophet in that time. Hmm. She was very old. She had lived with her husband for seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. Good grief. I mean, she's, she's 84 years old when we see her here and she had seven years of marriage and that was it. Presumably, she may have been married as a teenager or, or a young adult, adolescent in that culture. Women got married very, very young. They were betrothed legally, and then they were married just like Joseph and Mary were. And so let's say she was married at 20. Well, her husband died when she's 27, and now she's a widow until she's 84 years old. You talk about a recipe for the blues. In that culture... If you are widowed, you're in trouble right away because that is a male-dominated culture. All the sustenance and the provision and the protection is coming from the husband. You lose the husband. You have no children. You have lost everything. And she's like that until she's 84 years old. Wow. Look at her life. She never left the temple. What? She's in the temple all the time, but worshiped day and night, fasting and praying. And she comes up to this couple with Jesus and comes up to them at that moment. And she too gives thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She, there's something that clicks in this senior woman's heart about who this baby is. We don't know specifically what she said, but it's implied that she knew to a large degree who this baby was and that this baby would ultimately bring about the redemption of the entire city. This is language that's like the end of the world kind of language that she, she uses there. The redemption of Jerusalem. I mean, this is like the ultimate goal for them. And she recognizes this. How? Well, look at the clues, you know. She, she, she's worshiping. She is fasting. She is praying. She's in the temple all the time. She gets it. There's something that clicks in her, and she is also a prophet. What Luke is saying in, in two, two people's lives is that the work of the Holy Spirit, the availability of the Holy Spirit to all people has now come. This age has now dawned on all of humanity. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and he, the child grew, became strong, was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. Again, it, it drops into the story and drops right out, but there is a profound lesson there. Christmas, ultimately, if you're, if you're not understanding the, the bigger picture and you're not applying it to the work of Christ in your life, it's going to be a downer. 
ultimately you're gonna is is gone. Where did Christmas go? You know, all my friends and family, they've all gone home and here come the bills and now I'm back to work and like, oh, this is awful. You know, Scrooge, maybe Scrooge was right. Bah humbug, right? You don't get the joke. Ebenezer Scrooge. The people on Facebook might get Ebenezer Scrooge. You know why we like Ebenezer Scrooge? Because to a degree, we relate to the character, right? He got burned by Christmas. He got burned at Christmas. You know, his heart is hard. His heart is cold. And he, he learns the real meaning of Christmas. It's not something that's one day a year. It's about the transformation of the human heart that is ongoing and that is everlasting. And that ultimately is because of the work of the Holy Spirit. When you get to know him, when you understand that Jesus, by coming into this world and by accomplishing all that he did, we now have available him as the person of the Holy Spirit. And my friends, that is going to get you through the down times. That's going to lift you up when you're discouraged. That's going to give you power when you feel weak. That's going to help you to keep on keeping on even in the darkest of nights. And he, the person of the Spirit of God, is the ultimate cure for the Christmas blues. Well, we learned that from these two nobodies, virtual nobodies, Simeon and Anna. What spectacular people they were and examples to us all.